Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their stories and their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host as always. And today's quote is by Yoko Ono. Healing yourself is connected with healing others. And we have an amazing guest for you. Today, we welcome Amanda McKenzie. Unresolved grief from the past appears in our present, disturbing our equilibrium and affecting our mental health. Now, early in Amanda's work as a teacher and a school principal, she saw this impact of grief on children and families, and she identified risk factors around resilience and recovery. And in her work as an influential leadership coach, she has seen the effects of grief on the capacity of people to be their best, especially in demanding and responsible roles. So these experiences led her in part to undertake postgraduate qualifications in holistic psychotherapy and counseling. And she now works as a therapist, supporting clients with their suffering and healing. And she also is the author of the amazing new book, From Grief to Healing, a holistic guide to rebuilding mind, body, and spirit after loss. Welcome, Amanda. How are you today? I'm really well, Heather, and delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. So before I dive into some questions, maybe about your book or about grief in general, would you like to share any, that, that's a fairly brief bio. Is there anything else that you would like to share about how you got to where you are today? Well, I think the seeds of the book were planted in my own story, really. So my husband was diagnosed with cancer in his mid-40s. Mm. He didn't live very long after that diagnosis and we had three children. Oh. And so this great rupture in my personal life uh, really forced me to grasp for some solutions and to find peace of mind. And mm-hmm. um, uh, really the book began without me knowing it, just as I was trying to come to terms with my own loss and my own grief and and how to be present for my children and in my work. Um, Really, 20 years later, um, uh, I can see the threads of that personal story weaving into my work as a school leader uh, and then fueling my desire really to understand more about grief and healing. And and now I find myself uh, working with clients who have suffered loss and who are seeking to find ways to integrate that, to make meaning Mm. uh, from that experience and then to recover their balance. And so it's um, grief is both deeply personal and universal. And that's been my experience. Mm. Um, My personal story has led into something bigger. You know, I really... I like the way that you phrase that it's both deeply personal and universal, because I I think that really just, it shows the connection that we all have Mm -hmm. to this. And, And I feel, I'm sure we're, 
at this time in our lives, it's not new. Humans go through ups and downs and all kinds of craziness in the world. But I feel a big sense of um, loss and, and, and grief right now from so many of my clients. And I feel like perhaps they could use some of these strategies that you, that you talk about to help people through it so that I, in particular, to just quote what you said, so that they can find meaning in it. Right. I think that's a, that's a big part of it. Right. Yes. I think unless we're fully present to it in a way, it's hard to um, recognize the impact, come to terms with the loss, uh, move beyond the loss. Uh, I've really noticed in my work as a therapist that um, people, that past suffering shows up in the present and sometimes the first sentence reveals the whole reality of that. People will say, it's just I've become aware that I didn't grieve the loss of my mother or mm. I've never got over the loss of my father or I was too busy with my young children or caring for somebody else that I didn't really, I couldn't pay attention yeah. and it's affecting them still. And so uh, I think we're not great in Western society at talking about death mm -hmm. and therefore not great at talking about grief. And while we have some rituals in those early days, mostly people who are grieving are left to get on with it. And um, if we're lucky, we have some good friends and some people who understand, but it's quite a hidden suffering and um, I'm keen to talk about it. So we've got a common language and give people some strategies so they don't feel so isolated. Oh, I, I think that's really important work. So in, in your experience with your clients and with, your, with yourself, what have you discovered about, I guess, the nature of grief? Is there some, you know, we talked about universality, but so what, what's the, like the nature of grief? Yes, I think um, there's such a range of experiences. Some people are quite numb mm. and they're, they're, they feel shut off from their the impact, they're worried that they're not crying enough or they're not upset enough or they seem to be functioning. And then there are other people who are so distressed and so physically, emotionally affected that they feel they can't function normally. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just really encourage people to take notice of what's happening to them and to just uh, be with that discomfort and to then make some small changes that will shift that. I, I think the nature of grief is in some ways highly personal, um, but there are some patterns to it. And I think I've divided the book up into focusing on a chapter on emotions, the heart, the heart of grief and mm. the heart of healing. Um, another chapter called Reminded because a lot of, grief happens in our thoughts and the way we think about life and the way we think about ourselves. And so um, I did a lot of research and I, I was aware of the models. None of those really fitted my experience. Um, I think that the image that best served me was the idea of a spiral, that sometimes I was, you know, spiralling down, things were getting worse and harder and had a strong movement to it. And other times I could just feel myself lifting a little 
just a little and sometimes that you know there'd be months between those little moments where I'd feel things were easier but a spiral seemed to capture this idea that it shifts and it changes that sometimes mm -hmm. it's easier and it's harder sometimes it feels smaller and larger um, but by paying attention and by taking some small steps towards what you want uh, it is possible to have some impact on the experience that you're having rather than just the, the subject of that. Right, right. And I, I love the attention that you're drawing to awareness. And that's a big part, I think, of, of any of the work that, that we do as coaches is to help people to become more aware of what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and and become present with it. And um, when you said you know I, you you didn't use this exact term, but it was very similar. And it reminded me, but um, sitting with it, right? So I had a I had a friend years ago, a therapist friend. I think everyone should have a therapist friend. <laughs> so and she told me I was struggling with something, and she told me you you just need to sit with it. And that what for me was like the most foreign concept in the whole world. Cause I'm a mover, right? Yes. So I move through things. That's how I process things. So this was very new for me, but in finally figuring it out, probably took me about 20 years, finally figuring out how to sit with things. I, I understand what she means now and what you're saying and the importance of just being okay with feeling not okay. Right. Yes. And, you know, we have a great desire to fix things, I think. And yeah. uh, grief uh, when someone has died is not something that can be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many layers to it, just accepting that it's happened and recognising the impact. And uh, for me and for many others, there wasn't one area of my life that wasn't affected. And so it has implications about um, your emotional life, your financial life, sometimes your housing, yeah. um, so many layers and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I encourage people, as you say, to sit with it and to just um, be aware of what it is that you need and to take some small steps towards having that. Yeah. And, and in, my, in my mind, I'm thinking it's important to acknowledge that sitting with it from a non-judgmental place because I think sometimes we are prone to judging ourselves quite a bit even if we've overcome the need to judge others we still judge ourselves and our emotions and and what what we're thinking and and I think the sitting with it an element of it is to not judge it right it, or is that just yeah. me oh no I think that's very important and the we often should ourselves you know that we should be yes. doing something differently and it's really not helpful um we're more likely to use that language and that thinking about ourselves and about others mm -hmm. uh so to just see how things are and to be really kind to yourself at this time and um to recognize that things will change and sometimes mm -hmm. even that's difficult you know we we don't want um, things to change too much. We feel if if we're laughing and if we're having a good time and if we're enjoying ourselves that we're somehow betraying the person that we're grieving or that we, we should be grieving for longer or more deeply. And 
I think just a gentle kindness. I love the Buddhist idea of compassionate observation Ooh, to like see it yes. with heart and to just um, notice what's going on and um, knowing that you can move through that. I, you know, I've had a number of clients now with complicated grief, um, which would be that after about a year, you're still really struggling with some very basic um, daily practices that would move you part, from the past into the present. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the reason that they're stuck is that they, they can't acknowledge where they're at. And so they, they're really stuck in a, a terrible position where the grief overwhelms them and it affects them so in such a sustained way that it affects mental health, mm -hmm. affects employment. And um, so I, I remember at the beginning, sometimes I needed to um, manage myself moment by moment. You know, those early days were just tiny, tiny moments. And a very simple thing that I discovered is that I could, if I changed my energy, it would change, shift something for me. So if I was sitting down and feeling completely overwhelmed, I'd stand up. And if I was inside, I'd go outside. Mm -hmm. And if I was doing something, I'd stop. And if I was doing nothing, I'd do something. Yes. And just those little decisions about um, at that interface between the suffering of grief and the daily rhythms it, it helped me move slowly slowly I must say you know that, that's what I what, what I was talking about about the movement is is the shifting of the energy so I'm glad you you know that that and and teach that that integrates as well now you you speak about you know we we alluded to it before but this the personal experience of grief as well as the public character Mm. of grief can you talk about that a little bit mm. yes perhaps from both sides so the mm. the personal part of grief is really shaped by a number of things it's partly shaped by my um my worldview and how i understand life and death it's partly shaped by perhaps my spirituality or religious beliefs if i have them mm. it, it can be really affected by the nature of the relationship. Um, sometimes we find ourselves really distressed and surprised um, about our grief when we may perhaps don't know somebody as well or they're a little bit distant or we haven't seen them for a long time and yet we feel that in, in a powerful way. Or we may have the opposite experience that we've you know, lost a close relative um, but we don't feel that same heartache. And so the nature of the relationship is really important. And I, I think also our, the, how much practice we have had managing our feelings. Mm. Um, oh, feelings no. overall, not just grief. Yes, yes. that's right. Uh -huh. That's right. Okay. Um, so that personal side has a wide variety, depending on a range of factors. Um, and it does intersect with the universal, I think, you know, our need for ritual, um, our need to remember, um, 
they're, they're universal things across all cultures. They're, they're expressed differently. But there is a, um, a human understanding about the cyclical nature of birth and death and um, ageing and all of those things. I'm just not sure that we, we express it very well and, and we sometimes would rather uh, not talk too much about it. Yeah. But um, I, I think until I had been through the deaths of some people close to me, I didn't realise how significant it is to reach out to those who are grieving. Um, I often, when I was younger, felt I wasn't sure what to say or whether it would be welcome. Yes. Um, now I understand from being the receiver of that several times in my life now um, that it means such a lot when people can express their care to you. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. But Yeah, it doesn't um, have to be perfect. I think that people don't know what to say, so they don't say anything, but you don't need the perfect words. You just no. need to know that they care, right? That's right. And yeah. to really have that sense that we are, we sharing in your suffering, that mm -hmm. we feel for you, we feel with you. And there are no words, really. There are no words of consolation. Mm -hmm. But um, so I think we do have a, a responsibility to look after one another. And, you know, I think sometimes the cultures, some of the Italian women and the Greek women in Australia and in their own countries, obviously, but they would, would wear black for a year after they'd lost their husband. Mm -hmm. It was such a signifier that they were grieving, that they were in a special state of life that perhaps needed some gentle care and, and it was a way... Well, like, a, like a symbol to the outside yeah. world. Yes, yeah. yes. Because mm -hmm. grief has no marks, really. You walk around... Um, people don't know you're suffering. You know, you just mean when you're saying for a year, let's talk about time. Like, is mm. there a, an amount of time that it, people feel is like, what is the appropriate amount of time? Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I find that whole thing very difficult. What do you think? Well, it's so personal, isn't it? And that in a way, it's not in your control. Um, you know, it's many years since Paul died and I still would have moments where I grieve and miss and, um, yeah, miss him. And um, so I think time is an illusion in a way in matters of the heart. Um, I, I do want to say, though, that if, if life is, seems impossible after about a year, um, I would really encourage people to get some support through that because as I said earlier, we can get stuck. You know, I completely agree with you. And, and I think sometimes that we, we feel like, oh, I've got to do this on my own because it's there, that personal element of it, but you don't like people like no. you, this is what you do. So, so take us through, what does it look like? What kind of support do you offer your clients in their recovery of this? Well, I hold space and that's the most important thing, I think. Um, by the time they've made an appointment to come and see me, they've already identified that things aren't going well. They don't feel they've got their balance. Mm -hmm. 
and they make an appointment. By the time they come, um, they're ready to tell me what the concern is. Yeah. And that's been a surprise to me because in coaching, it doesn't often appear in the first sentence. Sometimes coaching begins with a story about a situation and maybe then a problem ident is identified. And then underneath that, there might be some suffering or some old wounds. Whereas counselling clients usually come and say something strong about their suffering to begin. And I would just invite them to tell me how that is and how, how is that affecting them. Mm -hmm. um, my training was in process-oriented psychology. And so the basis of that really is to help people unfold their own experience. Mm -hmm. um, not to um, um, put labels on it, not to um, pathologize it, really just to help them understand that, yeah. um, to validate their experience, to ask gentle questions that might take them beyond uh, what they've been able to make of it alone. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Once people understand the impact of grief, um, helping them shape up some kind of vision about how they, what they'd like things to be like. You know, some people haven't taken time to remember. Um, they've hidden the photos. They've, um, you know, tried to move on. Sometimes the work I do with people helps them recover some of those memories and honour some of those lovely things about the people they've lost. Um, because healing really, it's not as if we get over the loss of that relationship, but we learn to integrate that into mm. our rich life. Um, when I first lost Paul, somebody said to me that um, it was the mark in my life of grief the stain of grief um, would remain unchanged but what would happen is that at the edges some little bits of life would begin to grow until it just was part of the tapestry of my life not just I don't mean to minimize that yeah. but that's really the work with clients to help them on the grief part first and the impact and then to just begin to find ways to integrate, to recover, to name those things that haven't been said. Um, sometimes they might write a letter to their loved ones. Sometimes they might, um, people have done all kinds of things to memorialise their loved one in ways that have meaning for them. You know, the way that you described it is very visual. I very, like I saw it, it's very visual um, and descriptive, but I, I really like the idea of this integration and um, whether it's grief or other um, difficulties, I feel like when we can integrate the challenges in our lives, ultimately it, it takes time, but ultimately it makes our lives, um, what'd you say? It was a vibrant nose, more, what was the word you used? I liked very much. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a fullness is what I kind of heard is that it, it makes you, um, 
like a more beautiful picture almost. Do you know what I mean? Like when you can integrate mm. it, like um, like the Japanese art form where when there's a crack, they fill it with gold because that's, uh, you know, this beautiful artwork because they're yeah. honoring the cracks. And I, I'm kind of feeling that same feeling when you're talking about it. Yes, I think it's not a matter of removing grief or you know, wiping it out in any way, it's, um, it's real and it's powerful and it's so life-changing. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way that it has made sense for me is that, that beautiful image that you talk about where the pot is more beautiful with the crack in the gold. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think um, part of healing is to begin to conceive that you could have a full life again, a different life, of course, and perhaps one that, not one that you've chosen, but that life can be happy and full and rich and the memory of the missing person um, can enrich your life still. So, yeah. you know, the, the latest research about grief really encourages us to develop and maintain continuing bonds as they mm, call yes. it. Yeah, tell us more about that. That's something that you write about. Mm. So psychologically, that's really important that we, we see that the relationship has changed, but it is still present. And so some people talk to their partner. Um, I, I would have no doubt whatsoever if I was trying to think what would Paul say about that, because we knew each other well. And You know, it's easy for me to sort of take his position if I'm after his advice. Um, And I can see it in our children too. Mm. The values and um, many aspects of his life continue in their lives. Um, Some of those rituals that I talked about before can help people with continuing bonds. I know some people like to go to the cemetery or the crematorium. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people have a special place. Some others have a special place in their house with photos and things. Um, So finding ways to just um, keep the memory of the person alive and keep the presence of that person in your life is really important. You know, I'm glad that you said that because, um, you know, I think we there might be a certain percentage of people out there who are like, well, you know, that does that keep me from healing? And, and I agree with you that actually it, it promotes the healing and the connection in general mm. is always very healing, right? It's very um, calming and, and, and good to know, like when my mother passed last year, and um, we have this dragonfly thing. Um, so every time I see a dragonfly, I think of my mom and I've got the you know, pictures and different things like that. And it's, it's not painful anymore. It's more, this makes me smile to, to see the dragonfly or to, you know, remember something that causes a memory to, to come back. And I think that's a, that's been very helpful for me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we find those um, in the nature of the relationship that we have. Um, You mightn't realise, Heather, but my business is called Dragonfly. Oh, that's right. I actually forgot. That's perfect. Oh, what a way to come full circle. That's wonderful. Yeah, it is because um, 
at the time when I left school, working in schools, um, and I wanted to work with adults, I chose the dragonfly because they're the best natural adapters in the world. They begin underwater with gills and um, like fish, and then they walk up a red and then they fly around in the sky. And um, I think what a powerful reminder of your mum and your relationship that it's adapted and it's changed and yet the memory of what you shared with her still makes you smile and your heart lift and that's oh very gosh, beautiful. I love Heather. That. Thank mm. you. Yes, I love that. That really cements it. Um, oh my gosh, I love that. So yeah. I'm sure that there are people who are listening who are like, oh, they feel your energy. Amanda, you have you you're very well suited for this because not only are you trained in it, but you have a beautiful warmth that I think um, must really help and support your clients. So if, if someone would like to get some more information or learn more about you or your new book, how can they find you? What would you recommend for them? Um, perhaps my website would be a good place to start. So just amandamackenzie.com with an AU because I'm in Australia, right. if you can't already tell by my accent. Yeah, if you can't tell, um, she's not from the States, <laughs> folks. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, there are some links on there. Uh, the books are available in all the usual places, um, Amazon and um, many others. You can get a, a hard copy or a... Um, an e-book, a Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I think um, the book really is just something. I wanted it to be easy for people to use, so it's quite small mm-hmm. um, because I wanted it to fit in a handbag. I wanted it to be able to be in a briefcase or a read on the bus or the train. Um, and it's not really designed to pick up and read all the way through because when you're grieving, it's very hard to concentrate. Mm -hmm. And so I just have um, small chapters um, and you can pick it up and read a chapter or you might want to pick up one of the theme, you know, the practical strategies. So I look at um, chakras and meditation, some rituals, um, essential oils, a number of practices that would support. And so, yes, those things are there's some information on the website and um, I hope the book will really um, meet people's needs. I couldn't really have imagined that my own grief would lead to me daring to offer things to other people. But I, I remember trying so hard to find something that I, that might help me. Mm-hmm. And so now all these years later, it's um, a summary of, what I needed at the time and what I've learned since mm-hmm. and what I've learned from my clients too because as you know um, when we work with people we learn as much and receive oh, as yes. much as we give so oh. well for listeners don't worry we will make sure that there's a link to Amanda's website right on the show notes so make sure to go to the show notes it'll make it nice and easy for you so we have really made great use of 30 minutes and I've given so much value, but do you have any final parting words that you'd like to share? I just would like to reassure people that wherever you're at, grieving or not, Mm -hmm. wherever you're at, um, that's okay. And that if you'd like to make some change, 
gentle steps towards what you want mm -hmm. uh, that's possible too for everybody no matter how difficult things are I think um, COVID and a number of other things have really made um, there's some reduction in people's sense of hope and possibility yeah. and if I could give one message is that change is possible and healing is possible uh, no matter where you're at and if you're a bit stuck doing it by yourself find somebody to talk to and uh, work your way through that wonderful words thank you so much amanda for your time and energy and thank you everyone out there who is listening um, if you found great value in this or if you happen to know someone else a friend or family member who is experiencing grief right now please share the episode feel free to leave us a review we love those and we look forward to seeing you again next week Bye-bye.